Hey, welcome back, guys. It's your host, Nick. Uh, really happy today to bring on a special guest for our Notre Dame-Clemson ACC Championship preview game, um, Nate Atkins from Irish Breakdown. They're the SI affiliate uh, for Notre Dame football. He's come on. We had a really good discussion about um, the upcoming ACC title game, kind of the state of Notre Dame's program, how he sees this matchup breaking down. We also touched on the college football playoff field. And just a little bit of a more macro look at Notre Dame's program, what's going on with Brian Kelly, where the fan base is, and what their psyche is coming into this matchup. So really enjoy this chat with Nate. Hope you all do too. Clemson is 9-1, and one, and life is good. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast, guys. Joined tonight by Nate Adkins, special guest. He writes over at Irish Breakdown. They're the Sports Illustrated affiliate for the Notre Dame football program. Uh, Nate, thanks for joining us tonight. Nick, thanks for having me. Really excited here to talk uh, Clemson-Notre Dame part two. 100%. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a rematch game in the same season, and I imagine it has been for Notre Dame as well. Um, obviously, it's a season of first for Notre Dame. You know, your first... Uh, First conference season, uh, first conference championship game coming up here. And if things go the Irish's way, it could be the first conference championship ever. How's that been for you as a fan, uh, you know, acclimating to conference lifestyle? Yeah, um, I think they've played a lot of an ACC schedule already in the past few years. So I've kind of grown accustomed to it. It is weird to see ACC on the helmet and ACC on the jersey and all that. But for the most part, uh, I've kind of just ignored it because I know they're not going to be there next year. Hopefully not going to be there next year. So it's just kind of like a like a fun experiment, you know, and to be in the conference championship is awesome. I, I saw a tweet. I forget. Who, it's like Pitt, Boston College, a couple others have never even made the ACC championship. So to make it in our first year feels pretty good. Yeah, I guess you hope next college football season is somewhat more of a normal year. I think I think I agree with you. I don't foresee Notre Dame joining the conference in official capacity. We might have you on in the off season to talk about that that whole thing if you're up for it. But um, I think the focus of this show, obviously, people are tuning in to listen to this to hear about the Clemson Notre Dame matchup in the ACC title game Saturday night. And um, I think Nate, we can also talk a little bit more about the macro state of Clemson and Notre Dame and the programs and everything, um, as well as you know who both of these teams might face in the college football playoff this year. Um, but maybe we can start kind of talking about the matchup here and some of the high level narratives coming into this game. Like obviously that Clemson Notre Dame game was really the game of the season for most college football fans, you know, definitely, you know, for both of these teams and these fan bases for this season, that was the marquee matchup. Um, but I think for a lot of people like me included, the game itself sort of felt like there weren't those high stakes because we knew that you know, if either side lost, we still had the opportunity to rematch here in the title game. Um, and it was sort of an incomplete game in that Clemson didn't have a starting quarterback, had some injuries on defense. So while I thought it was a really 
spectacular football game. Um, there was still like maybe a little bit of the stakes taken out of that. And I'm just curious from your perspective, like if you agree with that and if you almost feel like the same is true of this game this weekend based on where like there could be a scenario where no matter what the result is, we might see both teams make the playoff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Play a third time, which wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be that fun, but yeah. I, I think I was excited for the game. I think a lot of Notre Dame fans were excited for the game because of how poorly 2018 went. And I think that just left such a bitter taste in everyone's mouth. So uh, going into it, I think the fan base knew that a win was going to be discounted anyway, since Trevor Lawrence didn't play, but, I mean, to beat, I mean, you saw the fans rush the field. So it, it meant a lot in South Bend. Uh, mm-hmm. Brian Kelly, his first win against a ranked opponent or a top five opponent, something like that. So, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from in the sense of like, hey, we know they're probably going to see each other again. But I think for Notre Dame, where the program was at, they needed a big win. And uh, that that was the one for them. So it was exciting. I was excited. Yeah. Yeah. My other one of my observations after that game, too, was like, I think for Notre Dame fans coming in and really a lot of people, it was like, can Brian Kelly kind of get over that hump? Can Ian Book have that like revenge factor game against Clemson and actually like stand up under the bright lights? And I think for the most part, both of those guys like really, really succeeded and achieved in that in that game. Um, Or at least, you know, I don't know that you would say like Brian Kelly made tons of adjustments to kind of win that football game for the team, but I think it was more like they stayed out. He stayed out of his own way and like they, they prepared the team really well for the matchup. And then Ian Buck, I thought had a really solid game as well. So um, yeah. yeah, Any thoughts on kind of both of those, both of those guys? Yeah. Well, I I think um, two things, I think it put to bed a lot of the Notre Dame's overrated talk that has been going on for a while. Uh, Ian book tried his best to give the game away. I mean, if you remember that late fumble untouched running into the end zone, and I think there was a lot of, here we go again. Um, but the deep shot to Javon McKinley that who knows how he caught it. You know, I think it it seems like book is scrappy. He's a fighter. You know, he's not going to go down without swinging. And to your point, I think Kelly stayed out of the way. I think part of that is by circumstance this year with Jerkovic leaving, but this is a season unlike any other where there's no threat of Kelly yanking the starter for the guy on the bench, which he's done to Everett Golson, Malik Zaire, uh, he even did it to Ian Book. He's done it to Kaiser. I mean, he's done it to everybody, you know what I mean, since he's been there. Um, I forget who he pulled to put Tommy Rees in. So to just see him leave Ian Book in in those moments where he's making mistakes or, you know, he had that terrible back foot throw at one point in the game. And it's just nice to see, I guess. I don't know if it's maturity on Brian Kelly's part or if he just he's stuck with Book. But um yeah, I mean, both of them, I think, kind of change the narrative about them. So good to see. Yeah, I think that that's kind of the observation we've had as Clemson fans. And I think Ian Book has also established kind of down the stretch that he's a different quarterback than the Tigers faced back in 2018. Also, our defense is different. I think in that game, you know, the defensive line from Clemson gave him fits, but he's definitely grown up as a quarterback kind of two years later. Here's uh, a senior. So, um Interesting. And I, I, I think a lot of the narrative really about this ACC championship game has been about what is different for Clemson. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about Notre Dame and for our Clemson listeners. Um, since the last time we played, Notre Dame has had a little bit of personnel um, issues, um, injuries on the offensive line. 
I know there was, there was uh, one player that went out for the season and maybe one that was out for a game or two. Um, Nate, maybe can you give us an update on sort of what to expect from, you know, the, the, the playmakers and kind of the, the whole Notre Dame roster in this game, any changes we should be aware of? Yeah, I think Jared Patterson's the big one. So he's out for the rest of the season. Um, and so he was kind of, he's a big difference maker. I mean, he was the starter there. He's having foot surgery. Um, Tommy Kramer was out for that North Carolina game, but he should be back. But in Jared Patterson, I mean, you're losing a 21 game starter there. So that's huge, especially for a team in Notre Dame that is a power run team first. Um, so we'll see how that goes. I mean, he's getting replaced by a guy who's not terrible, but who's not played a lot, you know, and um, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I know Clemson up front is still playing freshman, so it's going to be, I think that's where the look is. I think it's going to be tough to see what's going on. So when you look at that depth chart, I mean, most everybody's the same, but at center, you're going to see Zeke Correll. Uh, that's the sophomore. And then at right guard, you're going to see Josh Lug. So Tommy Kramer's healthy and good to go, um, but they're not starting him. So you've got two linemen out, one, one out for the season, the other one, I don't know. You know, they say he's good to go, but he's not listed as a starter. So mm-hmm. I don't know. What to and in terms of like the aspect of the offense um, that you see that playing the most role in, is that, I mean, we, every, every Clemson fan will have nightmares about the protection that they had for Ian Book in the passing game and, it actually turned into scramble, the scramble drill. Um, do you think that's the aspect that that might change things? Is more like pass pro and then potentially leaving up, leaving running lanes for book. I would worry more about Kyron Williams. Um, okay. He ripped off that big, like 80 yard run to start the game. Yeah. And he had a, a big run late down the stretch. I want to say like a 20 plus yard run. I wonder now if you're looking at, that right side of the line now that's not there and he likes to run right so yeah yeah I I wonder how that plays out um as far as book yeah I mean the pass pro will be it'll be a question I think you're gonna see probably Venables try to load up that right side of the line you know with pressure and see if these guys can hang in there when you got two guys like I said that haven't played a whole lot I mean like dude he's six seven three hundred pounds and he's a senior but he's not the starter and hasn't been his whole career. So um, I, like I said, I mean, I like Brett Venables the way he plays D and the way he schemes. So I'd expect him to try to come after those guys early. And, and to your point, see, does that pass pro hold up? Does that run pro hold up? And if not, I mean, it might be a long day for Ian book. Yeah. Something else that sort of gave us fits in this game was Kyron Williams is a, in pass protection. Um, I think he, he definitely made himself some money in the NFL draft eventually. Uh, just with that performance. And um, it's going to be something he probably has to have another elite game um, playing that role. Absolutely. I, and, and when I really think it, that Clemson really is going to struggle with it and teams have struggled with it all year, it's just the size of the Notre Dame receivers. I mean, when you look at Skoranek and you look at McKinley, I mean, they're these big body guys in the modern era, probably they're like a, a split tight end. You know what I mean? And they're just throwing, and Ian's just throwing jump balls. You know, and and every corner, it's not just Clemson, it's across the country. They're getting out jumped and beat on these passes. So I think you got to watch out for that. And I think the way you just eliminate that probably is just get pressure on book and don't allow him to throw the ball up there. Yeah, we we did have in the Clemson secondary uh, a little bit of 
you know, some guys banged up during the game itself. Um, Andrew Booth and Nolan Turner, the safety uh, that Turner is the one that got burned on the early kind Kyron Williams touchdown, but him going out toward the end of the, that game, I think opened up that Javon McKinley, um, you know, deep ball that sprung the 90 yard touchdown drive at the end of regulation. Uh, but I agree with you. I think, you know, pressure is the perfect antidote to um, not having necessarily the corner edge. I think if Clemson is able to come back healthy in the secondary, we're still waiting like all year long to kind of have the uh, defensive starters in the defensive backfield kind of show out and like own their roles. We've seen a lot of rotation there. So I think that for me is kind of an open question mark. Um, Ian Book was able to move the ball downfield, particularly on the sidelines. Like what does Brent Venables and the defensive staff do to kind of eliminate some of that? Um, yeah. And um, yeah, this Clemson defense, I guess, just to put it lightly, it doesn't look like your typical Clemson defense um, that we're used to seeing. And, and um, mm-hmm. one of the guys that I, I tweet with a lot at stadium, Mike Felder, he uses this phrase that Venables kind of like screws in his defense, right? Like as the game goes on, he starts to dial in what works and what doesn't. And against Notre Dame, it just, it seemed like he could never really find that, that play or that thing that was going to, you know, offset the Irish. And so you wonder coming into this with, to your point, a banged up secondary. I know Brian Percy got hurt. You've got another freshman next to him. I forget his name starting on the defensive line. Miles Murphy. Yeah. You've got young guys. And then I think your linebacker was out that game too. Um, so you got a lot of injuries. You got a lot of young guys. My point is, I'm not even sure that Venables can run the defense the way he likes to run it with these guys that he has right now. So it's been a few weeks. It's curious to see, has the defense made enough progress to actually be that Clemson defense that we're used to seeing? Because I think if they are, Notre Dame's in a lot of trouble. And I think going into the college football playoff, everybody else is in a lot of trouble. But if they're that team that, that showed up in South Bend a few weeks ago, they're not that scary, in my opinion. Yeah, I think a big a big guy to look for in this game, and you talked a little bit about, I was going to ask you, like, early keys of this game, you know, if you're looking for the game within the game, like, what are we looking for? Um, there's going to be three names that we'll talk about on the Clemson de- defense that didn't play in the Notre Dame game. The two most important, in my opinion, for this game are going to be number 13, defensive tackle Tyler Davis. Uh, this guy is the motor that makes the defense run, especially that front. And, um, you know, he, he demands double teams and pass protection, clogs up the, the rushing lanes as well through the A gap and B gap. Um, so Tyler Davis is something where, you know, the absence of him sort of made Brian Bercy and Miles Murphy, the other freshmen, kind of play beyond their role, like kind of play beyond their, you know, their core, core skill set. Um, when Tyler Davis is getting doubled, those guys can then, you know, do what they do in terms of get after the passer. So that's going to be really interesting. And then you mentioned Clemson's linebacker, James Skalski was also out in this game. He really is more like the quarterback of that defense, you know, communicating, making sure there's continuity and pass off with really the back seven um, or depending on, you know, if they're throwing dime looks or nickel looks out there, like, you know, how many guys are there. So he's going to be another kind of key factor in this game. And I think when we talk about the, the early keys, you know, you mentioned, you know, some of the offensive line depth, um, you know, coming to bear for Notre Dame, I think that is going to be interesting to look at. And Ian Book, though, I mean, him roving out of the pocket and, and making those pass plays to oversized tight ends and wide receivers, like, I think that's potentially the adjustment that um, Tommy Reese can make, you know, in the passing game, at least. Yeah, and the question really, I mean, 
for Brett Venables or Alabama, Ohio State, Florida, and whoever, you know, is going to end up being in is how do you stop that? Because all year, nobody's been able to kind of stop this two tight end, three tight end look, um, smash mouth football, throwing it to Michael Mayer, throwing it to Tommy Tremble, or throwing it up to those big guys. Um, it's kind of ugly the way Notre Dame plays, right? It, it's backyard football. It's to your point, Ian runs it's like around. like the Steelers, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And he, he just chucks it up. And somebody always seems to come down with it. It's, it's wearing the gold helmet. So I, I'm really curious to see, like, just from a, a pure football nerd perspective, like what does this mastermind in Venables dial up right now? You guys have your guys back. How do you stop it? How do you scheme to stop it? And if he does stop it early on, what does a young coordinator in Tommy Reese do to adjust? Yeah. That was the biggest advantage I thought Clemson had going into the game, believe it or not, was that you've got this like mastermind of a coordinator in Venables going up against this rookie. And I thought, oh, he's going to eat his lunch. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and it didn't turn out that way. So I'm curious if in the rematch we see that happen. Yeah, it's going to be – that I think is, is one of the, the good underlying kind of themes of this game. Um, one of my hopes is that you're going to see more crisp tackling out in the open field. Um, Michael Mayer just continue to burn Clemson down the stretch. And um, he could get those chunk yards. I, I think it's going to really need to be assignment football from Clemson and execute um, in tackling. So not, nothing, nothing sexy about that. It's just like play, play to your role. And what's weird about Mayer all year is I've watched, like, I mean, he runs a pretty basic route tree, right? Like he runs a lot of drags. Sometimes he'll run like a slant. Everybody tries to go low on him. And he's always like breaking that first tackle or hurdling that guy. And it's like, I would just love to see somebody try to square him up again. Like I just like to see good football and I don't know if anybody's actually big enough or strong enough to square him up, but it would be nice to see a defender actually try it because to your point, everyone's diving at his legs and it's not just Clemson, it's every team. And he breaks these big runs, which is great to see, but it just, it's sloppy football all the way around. Yeah. And I think before, potentially before Clemson fans get a little too cocky, like bringing guys back and saying like, Oh, Brent Venables, like all this personnel, we're going to obliterate Notre Dame here. Um, Pittsburgh has really solid defense. Um, Pittsburgh is kind of top five, top 10 in the country at, you know, adjusted line yards um, in their front, you know, stopping the run and Notre Dame put up 45 points on Pitt this year. So that was a couple. Is that the game Skronik had three touchdowns? I think so. I, I know he also, I think he had three against Boston College the next week also, but. He had two against Pitt and then three. Yeah. He got 107 yards against Pitt. So that was probably perhaps a more like pass heavy game because um, Pitt is good, you know, in the running game. But anyway, like, you know, Notre Dame is definitely, the offense is picked up down the stretch, put up 45 on BC, 31 on North Carolina. And again, Syracuse, you know, they're not, they're not a mighty team by any stretch, but um, I, I don't think Notre Dame is going to go down without a fight in this game. Now, you know, if, if Brent Venables does, um, does what he does early, you know, that could present trouble. And then, then we'll see where Tommy Reese and Ian Book are at digging out of a hole. I think for me, that's, that's what I'd like to see from Clemson is really make Ian Book be the guy that beats you. And it's not Kyron Williams and it's not, you know, short passing plays. It's like having to throw the ball downfield and come back from a couple score deficit. 
Yeah, and that, I think that's what Clemson did really well in 2018, right, is they took a lot of that away. Um, but I, I kind of want to talk about the other side of the ball. Yeah, let's flip it. Obviously, the, uh, the future Jets quarterback is returning or has returned. Um, and, man, I, uh, I was joking on Twitter the other day. Sorry, I don't know the receiver's name, but uh, for Clemson, he's not the number one, but DJ Ungalela used to throw to him all the time. And uh, Cornell Powell, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I feel like uh, DJ made that guy's career because, like, now <laughs> I see him in the highlight getting the ball all the time. And um, so it's just, no, they had a they had a chemistry for sure in the in this game. DJ came in and started. Um, and Cornell, you know, he's a fifth year senior. Uh, has definitely paid his dues at Clemson and is breaking out this season. But yeah, uh, definitely that Notre Dame game. He had a highlight reel near touchdown. Late, late in the game, late in that game. Yeah, I, it was a lot of fun just seeing that because, I mean, I think that's just what happens, right? Second string guys, and everyone's like, "Well, Amari Rogers, Amari Rogers," and then to just see Cornell Powell eat like that was was a lot of fun. I'm a big DJ fan. I watched him on QB one. Um, mm-hmm. I would love for Notre Dame to ever get a quarterback like that. But did you see him outgun Justin Fields at the open? Yeah, yeah that was amazing. I actually, I wrote a piece on him uh, to try to like, to try to like not humble Notre Dame fans, but just kind of like level set and be like, Hey, look, this guy's really good. You know, like if he comes in here and puts up a big game, like we didn't play bad. He's just really good. I mean, he threw for 400 yards. So um, we pulled out the win, but he, he's something to see. I mean, you guys are going to have two of the best quarterbacks for a decade, but. Well, that. Maybe on that point, though, like DJ did have a phenomenal game against Notre Dame. And I think one of the laziest narratives coming into this game is like, oh, you plug Trevor Lawrence in. Clemson's definitely going to win, like by virtue of having Trevor. Now, what I'll say is I actually do think Clemson's going to be much better off for maybe some less obvious reasons. And DJ, and we don't need to get into crazy advanced stats, but by the advanced stats, you know, again, 400 yards, but um expected points averaged per drive in the passing game was 0.44 per play uh, when DJ was, was helming against Notre Dame, helming the offense. That's an exceptional number. And DJ just had a great game to think that was his second start is just crazy as a true freshman. Um, But I think what was missing from Clemson's offense in that game and DJ is capable of this, the coaching staff just was uh, limiting him was in the running game. And that's actually something that Trevor Lawrence is, very capable of. We saw that last year against Ohio State. Um, they they have very talented secondary last year and actually very talented pass rush. Clemson was not moving the ball, was not really getting it done with its outside passing game. And they had to revert to two things, Trevor Lawrence in the running game. Everyone's going to remember the scamper for the touchdown down the field, highlight play, but also Travis Etienne in the, in the passing game. Um, I think Trevor Lawrence, you know, his also, his, his impact on this game on Saturday, maybe felt in a downfield passing game. Like DJ didn't really push it too far downfield. Yeah. Um, so I think those are kind of two aspects of Trevor being back that might be interesting, but wanted to get your thoughts about like how you are kind of handicapping Clemson's offense with a different quarterback. Yeah. So one, I definitely think Trevor pushes the ball more than DJ. I think DJ is more of a take what's there kind of guy for right now, at least. I think the weakness of Notre Dame all year has been that secondary. Um, I think if the pressure doesn't get to Trevor, 
it's it might be a long day. I mean, Notre Dame's starting a true freshman in, in Clarence Lewis. Um, yeah, you do have you do have Kyle Hamilton back there, who they they hope can make a lot of plays. You've got Sean Crawford, who's a six year man uh, back there, who I think they try to hope cleans up a lot of plays. But I think really at the end of the day, there's two guys I'm really looking for to make an impact here, and they're not not names that are, are starters, but I think that's Isaiah Foskey, number seven. Uh, the backup defensive end is just a hell of a pass rusher, California guy, just a monster. Um, we'll definitely start next year. I think he's blocked a punt earlier this year. Uh, I want to say he covered Travis Etienne on a wheel route last game and uh, deflected the pass. So I expect to see a lot of him, you know, trying to, trying to muck things up and, and get after Trevor. And then also Maris Leofow, number 35, who's kind of come on here late at the season. Um, he's playing what, what we call the buck position. Um, All right. Which is just like an outside line. The fourth linebacker, right? Yeah. Right. So he, he's kind of come on late here. He's a sophomore, but he looks great. Shane Simon is usually the starter, but I think as the game goes on, it, it becomes more Maris, especially on passing downs when they want to generate pressure. So I think those two guys, I mean, a lot of people know everybody else, right? Owusu, Koromoa, and all the guys. So I, I look for those two to really make an impact if something's going to happen. Um, otherwise, I would be very nervous if they can't get home with pressure and Trevor's able to sit there and just kind of pick at this secondary. Because, I, I mean, you've got Nick McLeod, right? He's a fifth-year guy. Okay. You've got Clarence, Clarence Lewis. I already mentioned he's a freshman. they got Kyle Hamilton, Sean Crawford. After that, I mean, when you start talking about nickel corner, fourth corner, there's not a lot of guys Notre Dame's really been bringing in. I mean, you can talk about Cam Hart or Tariq Bracey. Tariq Bracey was a starter at the beginning of the year, right? So getting benched for a true freshman, you know. Not, and, not confidence inspiring to come back in and make an impact. Right, especially when that's your nickel corner, right? So then it's like, okay, this guy's not good enough. So I, I just I, – I wonder – what happens if they can't get home? But again, Foskey, uh, Lee Fowl, those are the guys that I'm looking for to kind of make some impact plays. So you guys have you guys have the Polynesian guys on the roster. Maybe not a quarterback, but um, in the secondary or in the in the the buck position at least. Um, yeah, I I want to talk maybe a little bit about Kyle Hamilton in that game. Um, he he got penetration into the backfield on the Travis Etienne fumble that led to a scoring play. And I think he was in there on the strip for um, Amari Rogers. And I heard early on in the season, heading into that first matchup, people compare him to Isaiah Simmons from Clemson. Um, that's, th that's really high praise. Um, you know, just, they play a similar role in their respective defenses, but um, do you, you know, do you, first of all, like, where do you see him um, kind of heading into the NFL drafts um, when it's his time and his turn and, do you think he's like a potential MVP of this defense in this matchup Saturday? Yeah, I think he's been the MVP of the defense all season. Uh, I would say to compare him to Isaiah Simmons is a stretch. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just – Isaiah Simmons is a freak of nature. I, Kyle's, Kyle's very good, but I, I think that's – He can't play every position on the, on the field like Isaiah could, right? I, I would say that um, as far as where I see him going, I think right now, honestly, he's probably like a fourth round pick. Um, 
I think a lot of people don't really need safeties, at, at least in the first round. Um, well, the NFL doesn't know how to use Isaiah Simmons yet. So I think that's like perhaps like a hybrid type of role player is still trying to find its footing. I think the offensive side is borrowed from college concepts in the NFL. And it's kind of taking the defense time to catch up. But I know what you mean. Like a pure safety doesn't go in the high rounds generally, unless you're like Earl Thomas with the Seahawks back in the day. And yeah, exactly. And um, I think about Isaiah Simmons and I'm trying to see how big he is. Uh, 240. Okay. Yeah. 6'4, 240. Kyle Hamilton's 6'4, 210, but he also runs a 4'6. So Isaiah Simmons running like a 4'3. Yep. Again, you see why like that goes in the first round versus Kyle. I think he just kind of, he's definitely not average in terms of his play, but his physical isn't it doesn't jump off. Um, he's definitely MVP of the defense. I mean, they count on him a lot, whether it's playing up in the box to try to, you know, make any last minute saving tackles, whether it's to cover any mistakes from these inexperienced corners, they ask him to do a lot. And, and he needs to do a lot because they're weak in that back seven, um, as we've talked about. And I think, gosh, was it North Carolina? He got ejected for the targeting. Um, just the reaction to the fan base was doom and gloom, right? Just like, Oh no, we lost Kyle Hamilton. This defense is done. So yeah. And then they shut down North Carolina the rest of the way. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, but I would still say he's the MVP. I think obviously Awusu Koromoa, people are starting to say he's a first round pick number six. Um, That's the guy that, that scored the touchdown on the ETN fumble. Uh, Yep. Similar thing, he plays more of a linebacker safety type of role. Um, less pure cover, not, not a great cover guy. Um, he's probably also an MVP of the defense. I think they count on him to do a lot. Energy guy, make a big hit, make a big play. So I would say it's between him and, and Kyle Hamilton. Makes sense. Well, we'd be remiss, Nate, if we were talking about Notre Dame's D and didn't bring up defensive coordinator Chuck Lee. I'm sorry, Clark Lee, not Chuck Lee. Um, and I think it's, I don't know if it's official yet, but, you know, strongly suggested he's going to take the Vanderbilt head coaching job. He's a Vandi, Vandy alum, a Nashville native. And uh, he, you know, he's going to coach uh, this Notre Dame defense through the end of the year. Um, might literally be the end of the calendar year. We're not sure moving forward beyond that. But um, I guess like, Number one, how, what kind of job do you feel like Clark Lee has done with this defense in his time at, in South Bend? And um, any concern over like distractions with his departure? Um, does he have sort of like a lieutenant on the defense that you feel like, you know, can keep some of that continuity of focus and on the staff like this week? I'm sure that that had to be a little bit disruptive to the locker room. Yeah. So one, I think it's a terrible choice to take that job, but that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. Uh, the guy that the guy that's going to probably hold it down while he's there causing whatever distractions he may be causing is Mike Elston, uh, who's a defensive line coach. Mike's been there over 10 years. Uh, he's probably next in line to be the D coordinator if Notre Dame doesn't go out and get somebody. Um, good guy. I mean, started his career at Michigan, Eastern Michigan, was with Brian Kelly at Cincinnati. And he's been with him since 2010 at Notre Dame. So again, uh, great guy, defensive line guy. I think he's going to step in and, and be that lieutenant, if anything, or that that calming presence. 
as far as Lee, I mean, he's done a great job. He's, he's revamped this Notre Dame defense. He brought in originally this four, two, five, which for the most time plays a base four, three. Uh, he's brought the Rover in the buck. So he's, he's really modernized the defense and, and brought some good strategy. Uh, it's a little vanilla in the sense of he tries to get pressure with, you know, the back seven. So he's going to bring safeties. He's going to bring the outside linebackers. Uh, not a team that generates a lot of sacks, but they tend to get hurries. They tend to cover well. So I, I think he's done a great job. Um, obviously, this Notre Dame defense is one of the best in the country this year. Plays very well. But it's also a very a very old defense up front. I mean, you look at Dalen Hayes, fifth-year senior. He's uh, bookended by Adetokounmpo Ogundeji. Uh, he prefers people to say his whole name. He's a fifth-year senior. You've got Heinish and, and Tua's cousin, Myron, in the middle. They're both seniors. Drew White's a senior. Kormo is a senior. So, you know what I mean? Like, all these guys, they've been in the system. They've bought in. They know it. So, I think that also helps. Um, I, I can't imagine it's not a distraction, though. Um, you're getting coached by this guy who you know has got one foot out the door it's pretty common for coaches to leave and not stick around. So you wonder um, with national signing day, you know, in the next 10 hours or so, he's going to basically step into a program where he's recruited none of the players in his first year and has no say into the players that are signing. So I don't think that's a spot any coach wants to be in. So I wonder how quickly he hits the road to start recruiting the next year's class of guys. So that's why I'm not sure, to your point, if it's 1231 end of the year or if it's until we lose. Yeah. But I think he, you got to give him credit for what he's done. He's a young and up-and-coming guy. Wouldn't take the job, I don't know, but he's a Vandy guy, he's a Nashville guy, so hope it works out for him. Yeah, it, that is not a stepping stone job, although um, you know we'll see where, where Derek Mason kind of goes from here, but – uh, James Franklin turned that into the Penn State job, so it's interesting. But um, I think to succeed at Vandy, very difficult. Um, so, yeah, he's got his work cut out. You mentioned Franklin. I, I tweeted this. I got into an argument with a guy about it. If you look at what Franklin did when he got there, so he brought some kids from Maryland that he was recruiting to Vandy, a couple four-star kids. He also had some Maryland guys transfer into Vandy. So – he kind of brought his guys in. And then that second year, he took some games off the schedule. I can't remember exactly which ones, but they were tough games. He took two or three of them off. And then also, if you look at that time frame, the SEC East in general was down. Tennessee was bad. Florida was bad. These schools. So it was kind of like this perfect storm. And I mean, he was there, what, three years before he left? I think it was, and Penn State was in shambles with Paterno and Sandusky and whatever. But I don't think Clark Lee's walking into a similar situation. And again, I, I talked with Felder, the guy from Stadium, and he's like, well, one guy, he went through the sample size, right? Because I was like, it's just a risky job. And he's like, well, one guy retired, one guy got fired, one guy moved on to a better job in Franklin. And the way I look at that, if I'm Clark Lee, is that's two bad options, right? He's too young for retirement. Getting fired isn't good. And only one guy ever has moved on to a better job. But hey, he's from Nashville. He played there. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're paying a lot of money. Um, but yeah, you got Georgia, you have 
Tennessee, well, they're still kind of in the woods, but eventually that you imagine they'll figure it out. And Florida is definitely on the rise. I don't think Dan Mullen's a national title coach, but yeah, Vandy's got its work cut out for it. I, I think we spent a lot of time in the show talking about expectations and like what really, if you're a Vanderbilt football fan or an administrator or a booster, like what is success in that job? I think it's fringe tw- top 25, like competing to potentially be fringe top 25, probably finishing 500 with that schedule is what we're talking about. Yeah, I think it's a job. And again, this isn't a job that I think becomes a stepping stone because no one's really impressed by it. But if you win seven games a year, you can probably coach there forever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But, you know, Franklin won nine and that was kind of the way he jumped and he beat Georgia and he beat some ranked teams and won a couple balls. Like if you're again, if you're not doing that, I don't know where you go from there. It only seems like it can go backwards. Um, Same thing with the South Carolina job. I would say the same thing that that just came available. Yeah. We're familiar with that one. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, hell, I guess a few years ago though, you could make the same argument about the Clemson job. I mean, Tommy Tuberville and all those guys and and Dabo kind of turned that program around. So you never know. Yeah. Well, um, maybe we can get back to the matchup and then we can move on to the college football playoffs. So um, this game, you know, we've heard a lot of chirping from, members of the media and the SEC itself about the ACC protecting these two teams. Um, number one, Clemson didn't have a matchup on the schedule this last weekend and the ACC stepped in and moved the weight game out. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts about, about that? And honestly, I think if the ACC was really trying to protect these two teams, I think I agree with Dabo. Like if we really wanted to protect these teams, we wouldn't, we just wouldn't even play the title game. We just let these teams into the playoff and just let it go. So, um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not buying Greg Sankey's Billy Goods. Yeah. Um, how do I think about this? I think the way the ACC protected them was by canceling that last game for Notre Dame and, um, and just saying, hey, okay, these, this is the conference championship. I think that's been an argument from teams ACC for a while, you know, whether it was Florida State or it was Clemson saying, hey, look at it, it's week nine or 10. We've got to go on the road and play these guys. Meanwhile, Alabama's playing, you know, Tuscaloosa Junior High, you know. So I think the ACC tried to protect them by just canceling that last game and saying, okay, here's the conference championship. But you're right. I mean, to play it, Clemson has the most to lose here, already having one loss, right? So it doesn't guarantee that two teams are going to get in after this. Um, Clemson has to win for two teams. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's BS. I think, I think the protection was there originally, but now I'm not sure, you know? Mm-hmm. Right, and let's be honest. Notre Dame's blowing Wake out. Clemson's blowing Florida State out if we play. Like, there's no – there's no chance they don't. I think it's. And you run the risk of getting COVID, right? Like, right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just been such a crazy season, right? Where it was like, even after Notre Dame played USF to like start the season, it's like, oh, hey, one of these guys has COVID now. And now you're like, oh my God, did the Notre Dame players get it? Right. And then they got COVID. And then it just, so you go to Tallahassee or you go to, you go to Winston-Salem and you come back with, COVID or a couple players of COVID, was it worth it? You know what I mean? So it's just like, it's silly. Mm-hmm. Oh man. No, sorry. That 
I said Tommy Tuberville earlier. Tommy. Oh yeah, it's ba- Tommy Bowden. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> one is one is a state sen- or one is a U.S. senator uh, right now from Alabama. That's probably yeah. why he's on the mind. Yeah. That's um, right. <laughs> so I guess in this game, um, Nate, I think we covered a little bit kind of the X's and O's side and the personnel for offense and defense, and you know it's likely to be a cold matchup. I think Clemson showed a little bit of, um, you know, they. Virginia Tech, I think, played well within the elements and kind of exposed Clemson a little bit and how they could treat the elements. I haven't checked actually the forecast for Charlotte for this weekend, but um, the last time I looked, I think it was this past weekend, it looks pretty cold coming up. But um, I don't know. Are there any other kind of like intangibles or X factors in this game that you're thinking about might might impact the outcome? No, I wouldn't worry about weather. I'm looking now. It looks like 52. Um, yeah. That's not too bad. manageable. Yeah. I think the biggest X factor here, man, like we've talked about is Ian book, you know, I, this is Ian books, Cinderella year. You know what I mean? Like he has quieted all the critics. He's playing great. He's running around. I joke that he's like Ian Manziel out there. You know what I mean? Like is the clock going to clock going to strike 12 and he's going to turn back into a pumpkin, you know, like that's kind mm-hmm. of the X factor is what Ian book do we get? to Saturday and then what Ian book do we get in the CFP because if it's the guy we've been seeing these last few games I really like Notre Dame's chances but if it's the guy that we saw against Louisville when we only scored 12 points I don't really like that guy yeah and it could be it could be the case where he actually does need to be Superman if Trevor Lawrence on the other side is you know making you know making it making it work through Notre Dame secondary and the pass rushes and getting home so these things don't happen in a vacuum, but I, I really do think Clemson's going to put Ian Book in the situation where he has to be excellent. And um, r- yeah, we're going to see if he rises to the occasion yet again. Yeah, and I'm curious to see for the Notre Dame defense, right? So much of the focus in that first game was about taking away Travis Etienne. And coming in now, I wonder if the focus is the same because to your point, Trevor Lawrence is someone that can push the ball downfield. And while DJ can run, it seems like Trevor now they've allowed him and he's got more confidence in his running ability. Um, So I wonder, right, if we're selling out as a defense to stop Travis Etienne, you know, then now it's one of those, well, how do you account for Amari Rogers, Trevor Lawrence, Powell, these guys? Because before it was, okay, DJ, he's mostly going to throw it short, right? I think he had the one big throw. But for the most part, he's going to throw it short, middle of the field. He's not going to press us, right, and try to stretch the defense so we can sell out on ETN. But now you've got Lawrence. I laughed. It was, gosh, was it Pitt? Or maybe it was. And they were up big. And they're at like they're on the other side of the wrong side of the 50. And he drops back on play action and just bombs it. And I'm mm-hmm. like – 30 points why are you you know i I think it's because he was rusty well he wasn't rusty but you know they're trying to knock any additional rust off but yeah you're right (laughs) yeah like you know i like it it's fun from a football perspective but i'm like that's not the team we saw right like that wasn't how they were playing um yeah yeah well i think that for me that is actually something we haven't talked about yet is i do think and Clemson fans like us on this podcast talk about offensive coordinator for Clemson, Tony Elliott. And in pockets, he runs a very vanilla offensive scheme during the season. 
but he'll he'll mix in wrinkles where it's exciting plays or it's you know featuring something we haven't seen before. It's successful and it goes right back in the bag. You don't see that really till December and January um, timeframe. So I think that's going to be something else that is Clemson, you know, revealing looks that Clark Lee and Brian Kelly haven't seen yet. We're all hoping he does because I think that's when we can really start to see Trevor Lawrence be that elite level. Um, so that's something that I'm going to be looking for in this game. And really, I mean, I th- we'll maybe touch on this when we get into talking about the rest of the national title contenders. I think Clemson's going to have to, if Clemson's going to beat Notre Dame, make the playoff and go on to compete for a title, beating in Alabama, I think Clemson's going to have to pull out all the stops in terms of playmaking and in terms of play calling as well. Yeah, this Alabama team looks like a juggernaut. Um, yeah. It's interesting to see Tony Elliott down the stretch here, right? As his name starts to get tossed in the ring again for, I don't know, the Auburn job and other opportunities. Like, are these next few games, like his interview, to show, hey, look at what I've got, you know, and, and these are the things I can do. Um, because if I recall, right, it was a lot of co-offensive coordinating before. Um, That's right. I'm him and Jeff Scott. Jeff Scott, who's now at USF, was uh, was the co-OC. And Tony Elliott's always been the play caller and kind of up in the booth, you know, calling the signals. But Jeff Scott definitely played a, a key role in offense for a while. Yeah, so, you know what I mean? This is like his chance to shine down the stretch here. And, I mean, if he comes back and, like, blows the doors off Notre Dame, I think that's going to stick in the minds of a lot of people. And I think – I think he's going to get some offers that are probably going to be really good. Uh, yeah. If he comes out and it's vanilla and it's not that great, I'm sure he'll still get looks, but I think, you know, this is his time to shine here. Yeah. We talk a lot about it with him, like what type of job would draw him away. Um, looks like Virginia Tech's not going to open up. They're going to go with Fuente for one more year. Um, but I, I, I see that, that kind of atmosphere, that kind of support, that kind of job potentially having been a good fit for him. Auburn, we'll see. I, they may have their sights set on someone more successful or proven than Tony Elliott, who'd be a first-year coach. But again, you're right. If he shows out and he's beaten Alabama twice before, you know, in that role. So that's what they like at Auburn. Yeah, and I, I think that once the godfather Nick Saban kind of blessed off that it's about offense now, I think every school is looking for offense uh in ways like harder than ever Lincoln Riley um I think he's really kind of shown you know creativity and what you can do with quarterbacks and with offenses and so you know it's given Lane Kiffin another life in the SEC right yeah yeah Lane I mean what he did at Ole Miss is nuts I mean we don't hear much about him anymore but Mike Leach that first game at Mississippi State you know yeah like yeah yeah the SEC is not the old like 13 to six league it used to be they're looking to get into shootouts and it's kind of fun um, yeah it is fun wonder when the big 10 is going to catch up <laughs> the big 10 is ohio state and everybody else you know it just yeah i don't know talk about well, uh, that's the conference protecting their team yeah absolutely i think no no question there um well why don't we talk maybe about the college football playoff coming out i i feel like you touched on it a little bit. This really is a must-win game for Clemson. And as much as fans want to 
um, ride the pedigree of Clemson, how well the team, the Tigers have done in the playoff in the last few years. Um, you know, the, the most impressive win on Clemson's resume, Miami has lost a lot of luster, um, with that, with that big loss to North Carolina. So, um, I don't know, like the scenarios to me seem pretty simple. If we imagine chalk happens this weekend, if you see Alabama winning, if you see Ohio, Ohio state winning, um, I think if Clemson goes on to win, whether close or big, I feel like it's Clemson and Notre Dame. Like for me, I have a hard time seeing the college football playoff not be that that quartet. Yeah, I don't I don't see anybody else squeaking in. I'm trying to look at a way that we could avoid a third game. Um, I mean, I think like if again, if Clemson loses, I think they're gonna they're gonna put Texas A&M in again, and again, unless of course they lose. And then you're talking about what two loss team do you want to put into the playoff? Bump um, up data. Well, if Clemson yeah. wins, if Clemson wins big, do you flip? I guess it still doesn't matter. They still play each other two three. Yeah, so the third game I, happening, right? I think. Well, I think what you might do is move Ohio State to the to the three spot just to avoid that initial. Like number one, from a rating standpoint, everyone wants to see Ohio State Clemson rematch again after last year's exciting game. Yeah, and I feel like Bama Notre Dame's got the national title rematch. Like we've talked all year on our show about how that is the that is ESPN and the College Football Playoff Committee's like you know ultimate dream scenario is that Cortec getting in because like any way you mix up that matchup, it's compelling. Like Clemson Bama, Clemson Bama, Notre Dame Bama, Ohio State Bama, Ohio State Clemson. I think Ohio State Notre Dame would be a really interesting one. Um, you get a little bit of regional rivalry there. They don't really play that often. So, um, but yeah, I think like again, I could see Notre Dame slipping to the four seed. But who knows? If it's like a one point overtime win by Clemson, maybe Notre Dame does hold the third spot down, and we have a th- you know three match or third third rematch. Um, I don't think anyone here wants that. I think if we do rematch in the Natty, that'd be fine. But to play two games in a row, that sounds brutal. It would be. And, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, Ohio State would be great to see. They don't play each other until 2022, um, mm-hmm. which we're speculating. Brian Kelly will be out of there by then, but we'll see. Um, I don't think there's a push for Texas A&M to get in. I mean, even if they if they win, I guess. But uh, – I don't know. What's their most impressive win though? A two loss Florida that just got exposed, right? Like it's, and they just got, they got obliterated by Alabama. So as much as I'd like to say like two loss Clemson could be a team there. I don't know. So yeah, I think Notre Dame stays in no matter what, even even in a blowout scenario. Yeah. And I would wonder, man, if a two loss Clemson stays and drops the drops to four Ohio state to three, because I don't think anyone really respects a&M, I think people give Clemson the benefit of the doubt with Trevor Lawrence being out, um, losing the game at Florida. Does it, yeah, does it become more of a respect story for Notre Dame then? Like, wow, Notre Dame is that elite. Like, could Notre Dame jump up to number one then over Alabama? Like, if you guys beat Clemson close. See that happening. I, yeah, yeah, Bama, Bama does look like a juggernaut. You, you said it. Yeah, and they're – they're probably going to crush Florida, I'm guessing. Um, but maybe not, I, I would assume. I mean, if Florida wins that game, I guess everybody shifts a spot. 
you know, mm-hmm. Notre Dame jumps to one, Bama to two, Clemson. Well, no, if Clemson wins, Clemson two, Notre Dame three, but then they still play each other. Yeah. So you'd have to drop Notre Dame to four, which I could tell you that would piss a lot of people off given Ohio State's schedule this year. I agree. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, even if you want to avoid that matchup, like, are you going to reward them with only playing six games? Crazy. Yeah, and they haven't played anybody that's worthwhile. I mean, that Indiana game that was close, Indiana's not good. I mean, yeah, they're they're an above average team. They're not they're not top ten in most years, right? So, yeah, and even, have, even Northwestern at fourteen. I mean, that's not a game. I mean, no one's expecting that to be a game. So, yeah, and again, you're penalizing USC for not not blowing its schedule out. Ohio State didn't do that either. Like, there several of the games this year, they look sluggish, and they handled. They eventually won by you know multiple scores, but not in dominant fashion. Yeah, I, I mean, you look at Penn State. They played fairly close. They won by 13. Their game against Maryland was canceled. They won by a touchdown against Indiana. The Illinois game was canceled. Michigan game canceled. I mean, and I get some of that's outside of their control, you know, but it's like, are we really going to let them in with wins against Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers, Indiana, and Michigan State? Like that. And there's a difference between getting in and jumping Notre Dame. So Notre Dame has to face Alabama, you know, like they may. I think you reward them by saying, congrats, you make the playoff. Like we think you're one of the best four teams, but now you got to really prove it. And you're number four. You got to play Alabama. Beat Bama. Yeah. And then we just have to deal with Notre Dame Clemson a third time. Um, yep. But if Notre Dame wins, then I think all that's out the yeah, window. Yeah. All that's out the window for sure. So um, it's tough times for Clemson, I guess, which it hasn't been that way for a long time. Yeah, I don't think we're too worried, to be honest. Like, I think a lot of fans look at that game as – I don't want to call it fluky because Notre Dame is strong. Um, we were we circled this matchup for years. I was saying this is going to be our best regular season matchup since the 2016 Louisville game with Lamar Jackson, um, which was a classic. And I just – you know, the future's bright, right? Like, DJ's here. We've got tons of freshmen starting on the D-line. Um great recruiting classes, great recruiting class coming in this year. So that, yeah, I think like relative to like, we haven't been in this spot where we're like struggling potentially to get into the playoff and we're on the bubble. So in that sense, I do agree with you, but um, I don't know. I think we're, I think we're set up for a good run. I mean, yeah, you do. You got one, like to have two of the best quarterbacks, I think is nuts. So the fact that, and you know, it's weird. I don't know if you know this like I said, I wrote the thing on DJ Clemson wasn't even really recruiting him. And uh, he sat down with his coaches at Bosco and they were like, where do you want to go? And he said, Clemson. So they called the Clemson recruiter, asked him like, Hey, are you guys interested in this kid? And they said Dabo and like the whole coaching staff within three days was like out there and like, Mm -hmm. so they thought he was going to stay local, stay on the West coast, like a lot of California kids. And yes. Clemson he wanted to play there which is nuts like why couldn't it have been Notre Dame but culture matters and honestly like I mean I guess I wanted to ask you that about BK you mentioned you think he's not long for the job three four more years um 
Is it the NFL you think that'll get him out of there? I think he's just going to retire. Um, yeah. And be done with it. I think – I don't think he'll go to the NFL. Uh, just candidly, things I know about him and players that have been in that program, he's probably not a good fit for the NFL. Um, like your typical college coach, he's used to a lot of control. He's yep. just ultimate decision maker. And that usually doesn't bode well in the NFL. You know, it's much more about managing personalities. So I can't see him going to the NFL. I can't see him making the leap to another program. I think he probably retires in this job. And um, I'm not sure who he hands it off to, but I don't think he sticks around through 2024, even though he got the extension. I think he's out of here by 2022. Mm -hmm. And uh, where you think Urban might be my maker on at it. So, so just through some gossip that I've heard, you know, Urban, his next move is kind of based on like where his wife wants to go. Um, Notre Dame is, is his dream job for sure. And if it opens up, they might go there. There's some speculation. I mean, Helton's keeping his job, but USC might be out there from what I've heard. Um, they film a lot of the stuff for Fox in LA. His wife kind of likes living in LA um he's looking for again this is what i've heard he's looking for a way to prove himself and prove that he's not the second best coach in college football um so essentially he's chasing nick saban um and how that works i'm not really sure and where that plays out i mean texas obviously wasn't the fit um i don't think i don't think his wife wanted to go there but they're at a point in life you know where him and his wife are like, we've got these, our kids are adults, things are good. We don't necessarily need to make a move. So let's pick the right spot. Um, kind of like Mac Brown at North Carolina, where his wife was like, I either want to be in Austin or I want to be in Chapel Hill. I think mm -hmm. that's where Urban goes. I mean, I, so long-winded answer of saying, I don't know if he gets the itch and Shelly wants to go somewhere before Notre Dame comes open and he ends up with the Trojans or if he's able to wait two, three more years to take that job. Has it been weird for you guys not being able to play your traditional rivals, like Navy, USC, Stanford? Yeah, man. I was hoping to go to Dublin for the Navy Notre Dame game this year to kick off. Um, and then there was the compromise of Notre Dame was going to play them here in Annapolis and that fell through. So that's odd. I mean, that game goes back forever right the history there world war ii and all the things there no usc this year also huge i mean that would have been a top 15 matchup right yeah absolutely and i mean the, the notre dame an interesting thing to think about is does notre dame go undefeated with its pre-acc schedule right because it's talking about playing wisconsin usc uh i forget who else was on the card but just those two teams alone i mean you're talking about some tough games going into those so not only do we miss the rivals, but we just miss the actual schedule that we had. Uh, no knock to the ACC, but playing Wake, playing Louisville, some of these schools, you know, it's great to pad your stats, but you'd rather see some better games. Yeah, and you, you guys would have had Clemson on the schedule too. I think definitely the toughest schedule in the country um, on paper coming into the, the regular season. And understood, like, you know, having one of your rivals – um, you have to end that series or end the consecutive streak. Clemson had to do that with South Carolina. Interestingly, Wisconsin and Minnesota was the number one at longest streak. Clemson, South Carolina was the number two. Uh, and both of those are broken because Wisconsin 
Minnesota got canceled. Wow. So just a crazy year. Like I, I wonder now what like the longest consecutive streak is. Yeah. I'll have to look it up. I'm I'm a big fan of that Clemson South Carolina game. I had a parlay once that (laughs) I I took, it was a Tosh board year. I took, they lost. And there was the year that Alabama lost to Auburn on that kick six. And I picked Auburn and I had something else and I had Clemson beating South Carolina in the parlay and they lost. And ever since then, I've just kind (laughs) of, out on that rivalry you gotta hedge that man once you, <laughs> once you have that last leg you gotta hedge it but yeah uh i think if you talk to most clemson fans that was the most painful year for us was 2013 losing that game um connor shaw they just played keep away the whole night it was brutal and we had sammy watkins throw like a gadget pass that was an interception and like the game just went downhill from there i think that was on the first series too like we're just rolling the ball downfield totally great and then just Nope. Anyway, yeah. Apologies for your wager, but that so, one stung. <laughs> I mean, it, it's cool in general. I mean, I, like I said, I'm a big fan of Dabo, and he's turned that program around. Um, the whole, you know, Clemsoning thing is nuts. Um, it was fun for a while. But just <laughs> I think even, you know, just looking at a guy like that, as I think about Notre Dame and, and looking at the next coach, it's like I, I think when they promoted him from wide receivers coach or whatever, he had recruited like 35 of the 50 something scholarship guys on the team. And that's really what matters. I think at the end of the day, it's like, where do you find this great recruiter? And I, I don't know where that is. And um, I, I just, I don't know. I'm looking for him and I'm hoping he comes to Notre Dame. I, we, we liked PJ Fleck for a while, but I think it, he's a lot more brand than he is substance. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer kind of feels like, um, you know, like one of those movies where somebody's like chasing like their high school crush, you know, and like, it just, that's what it feels like. It doesn't feel like he's ever coming. Yeah. Like, and it's, and maybe when he does, it's like not necessarily going to be all that it was cracked up to be, or he was like five years too late or something like that. Like, oh gosh, could you imagine he comes and just totally just stinks and like, <laughs> I, I kind of can being a Clemson fan, but yeah, like he'll recruit well. He'll get the elite talent. He'll claw some guys away from Ohio State and elsewhere in the country. But yeah. uh, that'd be heartbreaking. I mean, <laughs> we're still paying Charlie Weiss. I just saw that he got his last like nineteen million dollar payment. Thank oh God, crazy. Uh, yeah, great job getting fired from coaching. At oh yeah. Well, in general, college football right now, like Auburn, Auburn's paid out before Malzahn. They will have paid $20 million in buyouts over the last two years, three years, something like that. Oh, man. I, oh. It's nuts. I mean, but but back to Notre Dame, uh, I don't see Kelly going anywhere. I think this game matters a lot, again, for Notre Dame because I, I view it the same way. Like, I think Notre Dame's back at, back at square one, right? They wanted to win to prove themselves and say, hey, look, we can beat an elite opponent. They did that. In their eyes, everyone said, mm, doesn't count. Trevor Lawrence wasn't there. So now I think they're back to say, okay, Trevor Lawrence is here. We can beat you again. And I don't think they can this time. Um, but I know they're going to come out guns blazing to try to prove themselves. And and maybe they are banking on getting a third shot at it and, and hoping they see something on film that they can use in that third game. But 
I don't think Notre Dame's going to come into this thing sleepwalking. I think even with the Clark Lee distraction, I think even with the guys being injured, I think it being their first ever conference championship game, I think these guys are, are coming to prove something. I mean, I think this is the same class that was four and eight their freshman year. Um, right. So. Yeah. So a lot to prove and they definitely, I mean, Notre Dame's won something like 20 in a row right now. So um, impressive finish to their career. Yeah. I mean, the, the way I kind of look at this is like, if you, if you think back, Clemson, I think was favored 14 and a half when Trevor Lawrence was purported to be the starter, like a week clear of the matchup the first time. Then he came down with COVID. Clemson had some injuries. Um, we're getting defensive pieces back. We're going to see about receiver, whether Frank Ladson could go. Um, but for me, like Clemson, the revenge factor, you know, maybe Ian Book in a game, maybe there's some distraction in a big game. Maybe there's some, some distraction. Like, I, I don't know about the 10 and a half point spread here. I do think that could have a disrespect factor for Notre Dame and get them amped up for this game. So I don't know. I, I think probably close to that spread is probably the appropriate point total here, but um, probably not as large as we saw in the, like that 14 and a half. I think maybe the point spread where it is right now is, is what I expect. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a little nervous because again, I bet, what was it? Like a 30 point spread almost. It was like 21 in 2018. Mm-hmm. Something like that, almost 30 points, I think, when I took it. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. And I'm like, no way Notre Dame loses by 30, right, or something. Like, and then they lose. Yeah, 25 plus. I think it was 30 to three, wasn't it? Yeah, so whatever it was, I'm like, that's three touchdowns. No way they lose by three touchdowns. Right. And so uh, you never know. I mean, this offense is explosive. A couple plays here or there for Clemson can change the entire game. Notre Dame plays a – Notre Dame's not a chunk yards explosive team, to your point. If they get down in a hole – be interesting to see him come back. Uh, I haven't seen them go down two scores all year and have to play from behind. But I think in general, this team's kind of overachieved or it's just kind of nobody knew what they were getting coming into the year with these guys is again, Ian book, but you lose Claypool, you lose commit, you lose um, on the defensive side, you lose some guys. So you're just kind of like, okay, we got all these guys, but who are they? You know what I mean? And so I would say there's no real stars, right? Anywhere. I don't think. Playmakers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and nobody who's going to be like an NFL stud, right? Maybe a Wusu Koromoa goes first round. Yeah, you don't have Will Fuller this year, right? Like, do you remember no, him? Yeah, there's no Will Fuller. There's no Miles Boykin or any of those guys, you know? Um or uh, on defense, Drew Tranquil or uh, Lloyd Gilman, even though he got kind of eaten up. Julian Love, who was a great corner in 2018. None of those guys. And I think this is just a team, as cheesy as that sounds, right? It's just a lot of, I would say, B minus to B plus players. And they play well together and they fight and somehow they keep getting lucky in some of these games. You know what I mean? Like I thought the Clemson game was put to bed and then. Yeah. You just got to hang around and stay competitive. And I mean, I, again, I think that's, that does speak to good culture that Brian Kelly's instilled there. And maybe, maybe it does go back to having guys on the coaching staff that have been there for a decade, you know, keeping, keeping players focused. And we talk about that a lot for Clemson, like the winning culture and the focus. And, um, 
it, it does keep you in those games. And I think that's the reason they stayed in that one. And Clemson has, you know, that's maybe a negative X factor for Clemson. Like we've had a lot of moments this year where Dabo and some of the offensive coaching staff and even defensive have gotten out coached and just made a bunch of mistakes and you can't do that in, at this time of year. So we're hoping all, all that's past the team at this point, but. Yeah. And I think we talked about this a little bit. It's you guys lose people because everybody wants to pluck the winning coaches, right? So it's hard to keep that consistency because when you're winning, everybody wants your guys. I mean, we talked about Tony Elliott earlier, uh, yeah. Venables. I know you saw my tweet today. It sounds like he doesn't want to leave his DC role. So that's yeah. fine, but yeah, it's tough to maintain that consistency and probably part of what's allowed Notre Dame to maintain that consistency is they've been an eight, nine win team. And so nobody's really come calling for their mm-hmm. guys and, you know, the, I, I look at the guys that they've taken, like Autry Denson, he went to Georgia Southern or Charleston Southern. Uh, Bob Diaco went to Connecticut and failed miserably. Uh, Van Gorder, I mean, I think he's at Bowling Green now. Yeah, and they're the worst team in the country. Yeah. At all levels. Yeah. He was at Louisville for a while. We loved to trash on him when he was there. Yeah. Yeah, so – I think the best thing Brian Van Gordon ever, ever did was got his kid into Notre Dame and got him a Notre Dame degree. But other than that, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what, what he really did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, nobody's come calling for our guys because the ones they've taken have kind of stunk. But I will say this, Bob Diaco, for anybody listening, once said in a press conference that they should play games on Nickelodeon. And everybody laughed at him. And this weekend, the NFL will be showing a game on Nickelodeon. So, you know, it. Yeah. Onto something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't see why not. Like if it's a well-distributed well cable channel, like what's the downside? I don't see yeah. It. And it, it gets kids into the game, I guess. And it yeah. builds a future fan base. Um, but no, I, I think um, for Notre Dame, what's really interesting. And I'm not sure if this is just, innovation by zigging and everybody else is zagging or whatever, but using the power run is such a unique weapon in today's modern era, right? Because defensive defensive players have gotten smaller and quicker to defend the spread or the air raid. So Notre Dame running this old school football really creates a lot of mismatches for people. I mean, mm-hmm. it's tough. I mean, and so I wonder if that is really playing to their advantage this year of just kind of grinding teams out, running the ball, running the ball. I mean, you've got these monster offensive linemen and, and I mean, cause to your point, I mean, Ian books, not really doing much. I mean, he's throwing short, he's throwing a lot underneath and every now and then if he gets in trouble, he throws it up and these, I mean, look, I look at Skoranek like a fourth tight end. Uh, yeah. I was actually surprised to see he's a receiver. Like when I took a look at the depth chart. Yeah. He's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, McKinley, same thing, I, but he's a little faster, but again, I mean, you might as well have five tight ends out there. So it's almost like three yards in a cloud of dust, uh, to bring back the old big 10 days. So I, I wonder though, as I watch them this year and they're kind of what I would say is overachieving if it's just because the game has evolved and they're, they're kind of doing what's counterintuitive. Yeah. They're like a personnel mismatch for teams. And I like 
the quintessential play in my mind about this was Trenton Simpson. He's a freshman linebacker for Clemson, great playmaker, a little bit undersized. Like he wasn't able to take Mayer down and Mayer got a third down conversion and that led to a scoring drive for Notre Dame. And I will tell you like James Skalski, he is a, he's as old school of a linebacker as you're going to see like middle linebacker for Clemson coming back this week off of injury. Um, so I think he, he's got, I guess, like he can stand up to that Notre Dame level of offense. Um, but you're right. I think there is something to that theory that you do have these guys who are otherwise really strong, you know, uh, playing multiple positions, being able to guard against the spread offenses of our era, not being able to take down, you know, the six foot four tight end. Yeah. Is Skowski the guy that looks like, uh, was it Bullware? Is that the old guy, number 10? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, he's much bigger than Bullware, but yeah, similar kind of, uh, I guess, energy, you could call it that. They wear like the neck brace thing. Yeah, for sure. The neck roll. Yep. Yep. I'm glad we're seeing that come back. I feel like that's like Brian Bosworth days. Um, yeah. It's from really, the 80s. It's yeah. pretty, I, I really like uh, the Clemson safety, uh, Nolan Turner. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's the dude who picked off Justin Fields in the Fiesta Bowl last year to end yeah. the game. He also picked off Ian Book in the game they played there too i like him and i saw a story about his dad and his mm-hmm. dad played together i mean he's got a great story he's probably an nfl caliber guy um again right nowhere but yeah probably later around well nate i don't know if you want to throw out like a score prediction for this game but um sounds like you're thinking we're probably going to see both acc teams make the playoff yeah uh, Desmond Howard earlier this year said he didn't want to see Notre Dame and Clemson play three times, but that, that unfortunately looks like it's going to happen. Uh, I'll go, I'll go 35, 24 Clemson actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I could definitely see something there. Like last game was 47, 40, right. In double OT. I could see maybe lower scoring. I think the, the scores were like, there were scores off of um, big chunk plays for Notre Dame turnovers. And then it obviously went into overtime. So we got some extra scores there. So um, yeah, I could definitely see something maybe a little bit higher scoring than that, but not much. And um, I don't think it's going to be like a Clemson runaway victory from the start in this game. I think Notre Dame's well coached, disciplined, and it's going to be going to be interesting. So, uh, but yeah, we're very excited to see our guys get back on the field and see what Clemson can do. I think we really haven't seen a complete Clemson performance since Miami in September. And we're just hoping we can still recreate that magic. So um, yeah. it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I agree. I think that's the whole storyline, right? It's like, what does Clemson at full strength look like? And can Notre Dame stand up to that? And God, I really hope they can because the, the fan base is traumatized from constantly being told they're overrated and, uh, they felt vindicated in that win. So I would hate to see it reverse course. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, like if I'm a Notre Dame fan and let's say Clemson wins by six points, like you're sad to lose the game, but in a way that like validates your or that validates your season. And I want to call it like call to mind 2015 Clemson had just like a Cinderella run and we lose to Alabama in Phoenix and yeah, we lost the game, but like everyone's like Clemson, like, Clemson finally earned our respect as like a legitimate national title contender by playing Alabama that close and that tough. And um, I wanted to next. 
Right. Yeah. And then came back and won it the next year. So like, I do think potentially, and now look, like everyone's got eligibility for next year, you know, <laughs> whether Ian book runs it back one more time, like I doubt it, but I don't know. I think it would do a lot for Notre Dame, like, you know, obviously to win a playoff game, but even to make it and kind of like go toe to toe with the Clemson, I think, you know, is progress from prior seasons. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I just don't want to see any moral victories, man. Um, yep. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, the win against them at home, you wish all the fans were there. School students rushed the field. Big win. Um, hoping, yep. they can, hoping they can recreate it, but I don't think they're going to. I think it's tough to beat a good team twice. It's probably even harder to beat a good team three times. Um, or even two out of three. Yeah. So, yep. we will see. I, uh, I think it's going to be a good one. And like I said, I just all season, uh, me and Brian have been talking, you know, as long as we keep getting the good Ian book, I like Notre Dame's chances. If we're getting the bad Ian book, uh, you know, it's a toss up. Yep. Yeah. That's going to be one of the, one of the key narratives here. So, well, Nate, thanks so much for coming on, man. We appreciate it. Good to, good to chop it up, get into, you know, the mind of a Notre Dame fan and writer you're really close to the team and the program. So we appreciate all that insight. Yeah, Nick, absolutely, man. Anytime. And uh, I had a great time and uh, we'll see. Hopefully Trevor is uh, everything he's cracked up to be on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, look, like, then we, we haven't talked much about Travis CTN, like two of Clemson's greatest to ever do it coming through the team. We're hoping for a good performance. You know, this could be a game for all time. So let's hope, hope it is um, and sets up a good playoff run for both teams. But um yeah, it's going to be fun. And, you know, let's, let's catch up in the off season. I'm sure there's going to be plenty going on with recruiting. It'd be good to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Um, not sure too many Notre Dame and, and Clemson recruits overlap, but it'll be <laughs> talk about who's out there. And, you know, as a fan of football, I really do hope ETN kind of bounces back. I thought he shouldn't have come back this year. I thought he should have probably went to the NFL and these last few weeks, like you said, we didn't talk about it, but these last few weeks have been rough for him. Yeah. So hopefully he's able yeah, to. I think in the running game, like we point to the offensive line, that's just really the the downside or the Achilles heel of that line is in the run game. I think ETN has earned himself a better draft grade with his pass protection and definitely his pass catching this season. Um, but you really would like to see him go out with a bang from the, you know, getting back into the hundred yard plus rushing performance um, just to solidify that draft stock. Yeah. Just don't want to see him do it on Saturday. <laughs> we will see. <laughs> All right. I, I don't know. I don't think you will, but yeah. Well, thanks anyway, uh, Nate. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, Clemson fans, tune in for our Notre Dame recap show early on next week. You all know where to find us online. Um, Nate, real quick, why don't you plug your Twitter and where you write? Yeah, okay, thanks. Uh, I'm at, at NateAtkins0 on Twitter. N-A-T-E-A-T-K-I-N-S-0 on Twitter. And you can find my writing on irishbreakdown.com. Uh, I have it in my bio, so if you find me on Twitter, you'll be able to find it there. And uh, oh, yeah. to me and Brian. We'll retweet you a bit so people can find you that way too. Perfect. Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Thanks, Nate. Right, thanks, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And as always, go Tigers.